Exodus 20, verse 7, give ear to the word of God today. Short and sweet, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This ends the word of, uh, reading of the word. You may be seated. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your law, your holy commandments, that we might see our sin, see our need for the Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, that we might know how you would have us to live. Uh, once we come to know you by your grace, that we might show our love and gratitude to you for the salvation you've given us. And we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Teach us your word. We ask, even as we look at your law, that you might be pleased in your kindness and gentleness to us and, and grace, that you would uh, convict us of our sins, that you would show us the many ways that we have uh, have broken this particular commandment, that we might uh, be grieved by it, that we might be grieved by our sins and turn from them in your kindness and grace. Uh, Lord, teach us. We pray that if anybody here this morning does not yet know you, that you would even use the preaching of your holy law to convict them of their need for Christ and draw them uh, to him by faith. They might, they might look to him and have eternal life as well. And we just pray for your, your will in this whole thing, that you would be pleased to teach us and make us uh, have our minds renewed and our lives transformed by your kindness and grace in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I think sometimes we often don't really take the time to think about God's law very much. I know in general, um, for, for a host of different reasons, professing believers kind of uh, neglect the reading of the Old Testament in general and certainly God's commandments in particular. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? You ever thought about that? Some of the commandments, it's like they, they come to your mind, but this one I think sometimes doesn't. Um, do you ever give this particular commandment much thought? What, what lies at the heart? What's the point of this particular commandment? John Calvin writes this. He says, the aim, uh, the aim of this commandment is to show that the Lord wills, that is, he desires, to show that the Lord wills the majesty of his name to be holy and sacred to us. In some, it teaches us, in summary, in some, it teaches us not to profane it out of either contempt or irreverence. So it teaches us the, the uh, majesty of God's name, that he desires us to think of his name and keep his name holy and sacred to us. There is, I think we've shown in the recent weeks as we've gone through the commandments, there's kind of a a logical flow or progression of thought to the different commandments in the Ten Commandments. Uh, in many ways, they are interrelated. One sort of builds on the other. Joel Beakey puts it this way for the first three commandments. He says, the first commandment specifies the God whom we worship. In other words, we worship the one true and living God and him only, right? The second, second commandment, regulates the outward means of that worship or the manner. How are we to worship? Not by images, not by idols, and the third mandates reverence for God, uh, for the God whom we worship. So in other words, you don't worship God by images, but it also shows we are to worship God in revering him and his name uh, from, from the heart. So there are, there are any number of ways we could, we could approach this particular uh, study of the third commandment, but I think uh, the shorter commandment, I think, deals with this one very well. Uh, I actually included that on the back of your bulletin underneath the scripture um, 
quotation from Exodus 20, verse 7. And what the Shorter Catechism does, as if you're familiar with it, uh, it breaks down each commandment in, into, I don't want to call it in their respective parts, but it, it starts off by saying what each commandment uh, requires of us, how, you know, what the positive requirement of it is, followed then in turn by what is forbidden in the commandment. And then sometimes, as, it, as in the case of the third commandment, there's a, a something annexed to it. There's another thing added to the command uh, to give us reasons why we are to obey it. So the, the first thing that we want to see is the duty of reverence for God's name. That is the basic gist of this command that we are to have. Uh, God has given us uh, the duty of revering his name. You might know, as we read the Ten Commandments earlier even today, that some of the God's commandments are written in kind of a negative form. In other words, they say what we shall not do, right? We, we say, it says there, you shall not have... You shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20, verse 3. Uh, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Others of the commandments are framed in a positive way. In other words, you shall do X, Y, or Z. Uh, you know that uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is written in a positive way. This is what we are to do, not just what we are to refrain from. The fifth commandment, verse 12, we are to honor your father and your mother. Uh, larger catechism, question 99, I won't quote the whole thing this morning, uh, but question 99 of the larger catechism gives no less than eight rules for a right understanding of the commandments. And they, I, I commend, commend that to you for your reading. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the catechisms, uh, there are some books out in the foyer that have those in them. Um, but anyway, uh, one of those rules that uh, question 99 of the larger catechism tells us is this, that as where a duty is commanded, like, you know, uh, remember the Sabbath day, where a duty is commanded, the contrary sin is forbidden. And where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. In other words, when, when God gives us a commandment in the negative form, it implies the opposite duty. Likewise, when God gives us a duty, honor your father and mother, the, the forbidding of the opposite is also implied in the wording of it. It also goes on to say, question 99, so where a promise is annexed, the contrary threatening is included, and where a threatening is annexed, the contrary pro a promise is included. So when you read, for instance, in the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, and what does it say? It could have just said that and left it alone, right? But God in his kindness and wisdom decided to give us an incentive, right? He gives us a promise of blessing to help us to have an incentive to move us along in obedience. He says, honor your father and your mother. Why? That, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He promises them blessing and, and manifold blessings, all kinds of blessings for the simple act of honoring father and mother. And likewise, in, our, in the third commandment this morning that we're looking at, it gives us a, a, annexes a threatening, doesn't it? You shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So according to larger catechism 99, it says in our, in our text case, there's a, an opposite blessing promised for obedience to that command. And not just the negative threatening of it. Both those things are, are implied. So, an explicit prohibition of a thing implies the opposite positive duty being required. The explicit statement of duty, duty required likewise implies the opposite negative prohibition. So we see that played out 
in a lot of the catechism's dealings with uh, the commandments, really all of them in some way, because they're all stated one way or the other in, in the scripture, right? It's either negative or positive, do this or don't do this. But in the catechism, the shorter catechism, uh, wisely, the, the people who wrote it uh, show both the prohibition as well as the requirements. So question 54, it's in the back of your bulletin if you want to look at it. Uh, it says this, what is required in the third commandment? In other words, what duty is implied in the prohibition? Answer, the third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, and word and works. So it's more than meets the eye, so to speak. There's a lot, a lot that's implied in a small space in the, the brief written word of the commandment. So on the positive side of things, this, the third commandment requires that you and I revere God's name. That we revere God's name, the name of the Lord, and treat it, and in treating it, treating God himself, as holy in all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. That's, it's not a small thing to, to, uh, to, to consider that. In fact, we just prayed the Lord's Prayer. This is also reflected in that great pattern prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we just prayed with Rob uh, a little while ago. What's the first request in the Lord's Prayer? You know, when I, when I was young, I grew up in a Methodist church, and we'd pray the Lord's Prayer, I want to say every Sunday, but it was a lot. Even if it wasn't every Sunday, it was very often. Um, and I don't think the entire time I grew up in that church that I ever realized that the first request was actually a request. I thought it was part of what you might call the address. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In my little brain, I thought we were informing God, uh, you know, politely that his name is hallowed. Because it doesn't sound in English like it's a request, but it's actually in the Hebrew or in the in the Greek rather, it's a request. It's let your name be hallowed. And so, what's the very first request of the Lord's prayer? It's about God's name. And as this is a pattern prayer that gave, that Jesus Christ gave us to teach us how to pray, what's the first thing that should come to our minds, according to the Lord's prayer, in our prayers? God's name. It comes before our daily bread. I don't know about you. I pray for that all the time. Uh, you know, he does include those kinds of things that give us this day our daily bread. Your, your physical needs, the needs of this life and of the body, they matter. We are not Gnostics. We don't disregard the body or punish it. Um, God provides for our daily needs. But before you even get there, we're praying that God uh, would have his name be hallowed. So that should show us. Uh, the fact that that prayer request comes first in the Lord's Prayer. It's not just first in order, it's first in priority as well. It governs and controls the rest of the Lord's Prayer. It is to be the number one concern of the prayers of God's people, that God's name might be hallowed. So it shows up in the Ten Commandments, it shows up in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but how many of us actually pray that way on a regular basis? I don't often, not as often as I should, think of the Lord's Prayer as I'm praying and let it influence how, you know, the things I pray for very often. Very often I go right to the, sometimes we call it the gimme gimmies. You know, we, we ask for what we need. We don't pray for what we should be praying for uh, very often. But if, if revering God's name is at the top of your prayer list, how would that change the way you pray? It should, it should influence how we pray. Why is the name of the Lord such a big deal. Why is God's name so important? Because his name, just like yours, represents his person. 
His name represents him in some way, just like your name represents you in some way. We commonly speak of knowing somebody on a first name basis or knowing somebody by name. Uh, we, we speak sometimes of dragging someone's name through the mud. You're dragging them through the mud. Not literally, hopefully, but, but that's, that's what you're doing. You're speaking ill of the person. In fact, Proverbs 22.1 uh, says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. When I was a kid, our church gave us these little bookmarks that had that verse taken drastically out of context, I think, at the top of it. And it would have your name and what your name meant. But above it, it said, a good name is to be chosen over great riches. And I always hated my name when I was a kid because it didn't sound very manly. I wanted to be like Jack or somebody like that, that, you know, a tough sounding name that I found out when I took Greek that that uh, Andrew means manly. Ironically enough, it doesn't it doesn't sound like a manly name. But the but the bookmark took this verse, I think, out of context. And I thought, well, this bookmark is embarrassing me because it says a good name is to be chosen. I didn't like my name. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. It means your reputation. It stands for you. And so to say a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, it means your reputation should be more important to you, a reputation for godliness, than being rich. We don't normally think that way, though. We think, I'd like to have a lot of stuff. I'd like to have a lot of money. Well, your money uh, doesn't, doesn't repair a bad reputation. In a similar way, God makes himself known in many ways by his names and his titles. And so to take his name in vain in some way is to show disrespect or dishonor toward his name or toward anything by which he makes himself known. That's why the Shorter Catechism goes on in question 55. It forbids, quote, all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. How does God make himself known? His names, his titles, his works, his word, his ordinances, all those things are ways uh, that God makes himself known to us. And so to dishonor them is to dishonor him. To not revere them as we ought and use them as we ought is to not revere him as we should. So the commandment at its heart is ultimately about showing due reverence for God. To fear God and keep his commandments. Do we show the reverence that we should toward our God and Savior in all things? Do we show that we revere the name of God as holy in the way that we worship, in the way that we speak, in the way that we live? Do we glorify God's name in all those things? I hope that we do. Well, the next thing that we must understand, I think, rightly here is the, the sins forbidden in taking the Lord's name in vain. I think it's got a lot more to it than we might think when we don't think very much on it. Um, what does it mean when we're told you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain? The Shorter Catechism, again, question 55, says, What is forbidden in the Third Commandment? Answer, it says, The Third Commandment forbids all profaning, you know, making common, all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. Um, I think in some ways, I don't know if you're like me, and in, in, in this regard, I hope maybe you're not, uh, Sometimes when you're so familiar with texts of scripture, even the commandments, your brain kind of, at least mine does, sort of translates them into what you think they mean. And you don't really pay attention to the wording. Like when I read the commandment against bearing false witness, somewhere in the back of my little pea brain, my, my brain translates as a don't lie. It includes that, but it's, it's much more than that, isn't it? And in the same way, I think maybe some of us, I know in my younger days, I certainly did this. 
When I heard, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, I heard basically, don't cuss. Now, that's an application of it, a certain kind of cussing for sure. But is that really what, is that the sum of what this commandment is about? No, in fact, actually, the commandment, you know, explicitly in the wording of it, doesn't even mention your speech. It implies it. It doesn't say, don't say God's name badly, you know. It says, don't take or take up his name in, in vain. Um, the word there that maybe, uh, you ever wonder why it says take? Why, why is it worded the way it is? The word in Hebrew there is to take up, to, to use or to take up his name in vain. So to take up the Lord's name certainly may involve our speech, but it also involves our thoughts and our actions as well. You know, many people, I think, assume this is mainly about, as I said, cussing or swearing. Um, the Bible certainly does tell us not to use foul language, and we should, we should think about that. Uh, in Ephesians 5.4, Paul says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know, um, it, it's, it's something even believers struggle with. Um, in fact, I've, I've known uh, in my days a certain segment of, of the Reformed so-called faith where people sort of took it as a, a, an aspect of Christian liberty to use foul language. It's one thing to use it and know you shouldn't and confess it and repent of it and feel bad for it and turn from it. But there are some out there who think it's, it's just fine and dandy. They're allowed to do it. They, they treat it like a thing indifferent. Well, Scripture doesn't say that, does it? It says we should watch how we, how we speak for sure. Um, but if, if we think that it's just about cussing and we don't cuss, we kind of fall into the sin of the rich young ruler, don't we? All this I've kept from my youth. I don't have to think about the third commandment much, but it's not what it's about primarily at all, is it? And so while this commandment does forbid some kinds of foul speech, um, the kind that uses God's name in, in a wrong way for sure, foul language in general is not the primary thing about this commandment. Um, you might know that, that the Jews of old, even some today, they would refrain from using the name Yahweh at all. Um, it's, we, we were taught when I was studying Hebrew in seminary that um, I, I wish I had a, a whiteboard. I'd bore you to death with it. But um, <clears throat> the word in Hebrew, Yahweh, we, we're not really sure if that's even how you pronounce it. And uh, the, one of the reasons I had difficulty, uh, I doubt my professors will ever watch this video, but um, I was, Hebrew was not my strong suit. Uh, Greek, some of the letters look like English letters. And they go left to right, so that's normal for us, right? Hebrew is backwards. It looks like chicken scratch to my backwards uh, podunk eyes. Um, and the verbs, or no, excuse me, the vowels in Hebrew aren't actually letters. They're little dots for the most part, little markings in or around the letter. So it looks like I'm reading Chinese or something. It's kind of similar to that. Um, and so what they used to do is they would write the word Yahweh in the Hebrew uh, but they'd put the vowels, the markings for the, that were the vowels, for the word Adonai over the word Yahweh. And so the little Hebrew person that was reading, whether it be a child or whatnot, whoever the reader was in the scripture would look at it. They'd see the word Yahweh. They'd see the vowel points for Adonai. And what word would they say? Adonai. Now, that's a name for God, too, so I don't know why this matters. But they would want, I think... I think the reason, I could be wrong, but I think, I think this is right. The reason that many of them tried not to read the word Yahweh was, well, you can't take the Lord's name in vain, and Yahweh is L-O-R-D, all capitals like in the text. You can't take it in vain if you don't take it. 
you can't say it wrongly if you never, you know, if it never comes off your, your lips. Now, is that what God wanted them to do? Is that really what God is? It's what they would call building a fence around the law. They say, well, I don't want to get anywhere near this, this particular sin. So what I'll do is I'll essentially add my own commandment on top of God's to safeguard me, to put a fence around it, to keep me from breaking it. Well, that certainly isn't the way to fulfill that, that particular commandment. God doesn't want us to never say his name, right? Uh, oh, incidentally, I'll, I'll leave this for your own uh, trivia. That putting of Adonai over Yahweh's letters is where you get the name Jehovah from. So people that stomp up and down and say, this is the only name of God, they don't know their history. They don't know why the vowel points were there um, anyway. So that's, it, it was, it's a misreading of the name Yahweh, uh, they try to read it with the Adonai vowels in it. So there's your, your uh, trivia, trivia for today. Um, in his book, The Ten Commandments, Thomas Watson points out, uh, and he's a Puritan, so you know they, they, go, they take things uh, down to the most minute. He points out at least 12 different ways, and he could have gone longer, that we take the Lord's name in vain. And he includes, I won't list them all, but he includes things such as speaking irreverently, irreverently of God's name, professing God's name while not living in a way that's consistent with that profession of faith. That, how often do people do that? I hope that's nobody here. You know, this is the person that, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and then their life says otherwise. That's taking, that's taking up the name of the Lord in vain, right? Uh, using God's name in idle conversation. You ever, you ever say in passing things like, oh, God forbid, but not really referring to God intentionally. Um, worshiping him with our lips, but not with our hearts. Going through the motions in worship. Hypocrisy. Not praying in faith, profaning or abusing God's word. In other words, twisting the scriptures. It's taking God's name in vain because the scriptures is where God has revealed himself, right? Swearing by God's name and many other things. You know, we went through, I forget how long ago it's been now, we went through the book of Malachi a while back, and some of you, I think, were here for that. Um, one of the first things, one of God's first complaints in that book, remember that, that, that book, that short book of Malachi, four chapters long, God is, is you know, uh, addressing his people uh, through the prophet. He's, he's rebuking them for their sin, and one of the first sins he rebukes them for is he rebukes the priest, the one who led the worship, of despising his name. It, 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 read, read Malachi 1, but verse 6, the priests were accused by God, and so they were convicted by God, of despising his name, and they said, how have we despised your name? And he said, by offering polluted, polluted sacrifice, by offering unclean sacrifices in the temple, they were showing that they despised his name. Because God reveals himself, in the temple, in the sacrifices, and all those, in all those things. In other words, they despised, they treated them lightly, God's ordinances. And in doing that, they're despising God's name and treating it in an irreverent manner, as if God is not holy. That was the first thing God, can, God accused them of in Malachi chapter 1. So I'll say, do we do any uh, other of these things? Search your own hearts. Look at your own lives. Do you carelessly dishonor God 
by by using his name in certain ways? Do we irreverently use God's name in conversation? Do we speak of God in a flippant way or ca- in casual conversation? You know, I uh, I often say, if you're not on social media, God bless you, don't start. Um, but uh, somebody pointed out recently, and I won't say her name, um, but there's a, a certain politician uh, that's been in the news in recent last couple of years, and, uh, and she happens to be a Republican, uh, and I, I have had a good opinion of her. But there's, you know, there's a thing that politicians do where they depends on the group they're talking to. They talk a certain way, and they say certain things. And when they're in front of a different group, they refrain from saying some of those things and say other things. Well, this person is very outspoken as a professing Christian, uh, but they were at a different event and they were celebrating homosexuality. Well, which is it? It's not both. Which, which one are you going to be? And at the other event, she didn't talk like that and vice versa. You know, and, and that's to say that uh, sometimes we think of only the politicians on the left doing that. They both do it. People on both sides claim to be believers and their lives are a complete 180 of it. Um, you can probably think of many, many Democrat politicians that, that go into churches. You're not supposed to be able to do that. And make political speeches. They drop. They name drop God when it's convenient, and then they undo it with all their legislation and other public speaking. But both sides have a tendency to do that in some way, and this, that's taking God's name in vain. It should not be done. If you are a political now, some politicians are, are genuine believers. There, there have been, and there always will be, and thank God for them. And, and we hope that if they use God's name in public, that they're not taking God's name in vain. They're not using it for selfish gain. But if they're using God's name to drum up votes, that's taking God's name in vain. That is a sin that should never be done. How about you, though? Have you ever texted or written OMG? You know what that stands for? Oh, my God. That, that is taking God's name in vain. Do you ever say, oh, my God, when you're surprised? That's taking God. It's using God's name in a flippant manner. It's dishonoring to God. It's dragging his name into things where it doesn't belong. Do you ever take the name of Jesus Christ on your lips as a curse? People do it all the time. Uh, we were talking about movies. I won't go into it too much, but uh, there are rules in movies where you can use a certain number of certain cuss words and it won't be R. And once you go past it, uh, it's R. And so in the past, and I can think of one that I, I happen to like this movie, but I didn't realize how many times they took the Lord's name in vain. Apparently, taking God's name in vain doesn't count. And so this movie, rather than using the, the mother of all F-words, you know, they take God's name in vain. If I had a counter on it, I think it would break how many times they did it throughout the movie. Like, should, should that be? No, it's far more offensive, isn't it? It should be. We should think of that as way more offensive. It just shouldn't, shouldn't be the case. The world may think nothing of it, but such, th- such sins have no place in the life of a Christian. We should never misuse God's name. We should think in reverent terms of God's name and let that be reflected in our speech as well as our thinking and our living. Do you ever live in such a way as to contradict your profession of faith? Does your, does your lifestyle go along with the profession that you're a Christian if you're a believer? Or does it contradict that profession of faith. Paul writes this in Romans 2.24. He says, The name of God, the name, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, among the pagans, because of you. In other words, 
They were saying one thing and living an entirely different way. And God's name got dragged through the mud. In other words, look at these Christians. Look at these people who talk about God, but look how they live. God's name is blasphemed by such things. Are we living in such a way that unbelievers that know us have been given ammunition by us to blaspheme the name of, the God, of God on account of it? Take the taking of oaths. There's a lot of confusion on this topic. Uh, the taking of oaths or vows is not forbidden explicitly in Scripture here or elsewhere. Rather, dishonesty and false oaths are forbidden here. I can remember as a kid, you know, when you were probably sometimes when you were lying, what did you often tell your friends? I swear on a stack of Bibles. Give me a stack of Bibles. That's taking God's name in vain, especially if you're lying, right? Because the stack of Bibles isn't God, according to you, according when you say that. But what are you really? What are you implying? God? It's like saying God is my witness when you don't really, when you don't really mean it. Dishonesty and false oaths; those are forbidden in Scripture. Jesus talked about this in Matthew five, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five thirty three to thirty seven. He says, "Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old." You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be, be simply yes or no, or other translations say let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil or comes from the evil one. Now, Jesus is not saying you can never take an oath. That, that is kind of how it sounds. What he's outlawing, what he's forbidding is false oaths. Unnecessary, you know, the multiplication of oaths that aren't necessary. And you can see that by there's kind of a sliding scale here uh, in the way he, he uses it. What are people, I think he's saying what they were actually doing at the time. Um, People were taking oaths or swearing by heaven, by the earth, by Jerusalem, by their head. And Jesus is saying, you don't do that. When you say by, by heaven, I swear to heaven, I'll tell the truth or whatever, what are you doing? You're stopping short of dragging God's name literally into it, probably because you're being dishonest. But you want to give the impression you're calling God as your witness. Jesus is saying, no, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We should be so characterized by truth as believers that no one has to ask us to, to swear on a stack of Bibles. If, if your friends and, and loved ones are always asking you to verify everything, there's a chance probably that you're not very honest. They should be looking at you as somebody who is rather honest. Those who profess faith in Christ, uh, Jesus, our word should be our bond. When you say something, people should be able to take you at your Word. We should be so characterized by honesty that no one needs to ask us to swear that we're telling the truth. That doesn't outlaw taking of oaths of office, uh, taking oaths of office in the church or in, in the civil realm. I took oaths when I became ordained as a pastor of this church. If you're a member of this church, you took vows or, or oaths to become a member. And the scripture has many examples of those kinds of things. Those aren't outlawed. Jesus wasn't contradicting the Old Testament law. He was explaining it, wasn't he? but we should be characterized by, by honesty. Uh, Robert Dabney writes this. He says, when it, where an oath is falsely taken, it is a heaven-daring attempt 
to enlist the Almighty in the sanction of the creature's lie. There's a way to put it. It is a heaven-daring attempt to enlist the Almighty in the sanction of the creature's lie and and is thus either the most outrageous levity or the most outrageous impiety of which he can be guilty. A heaven-daring attempt to enlist the Almighty in the sanction of your lie. That's what false swearing is. It's dragging God into the picture as if God isn't actually watching and listening and aware of what we're doing. To drag God's name into things as a pretext for dishonesty is no small sin. It's a heaven-daring sin. And in saying that, it means it's one that God will judge. What does it say in the third commandment? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He will not uh, clear him of his sin. And that leads us, last but not least, to consider how serious a sin it is to take God's name in vain in various ways. How serious, how grievous of a sin is it to take God's name in vain? Notice the commandment itself gives us a reason. It says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Shorter Catechism goes on to explain what that means in question 56 on the back of your bulletin. If you want to look at it, it says, what is the reason annexed or attached to the third commandment? The reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. You know, people out there don't think twice about taking God's name in vain, whether it be in speech or some other way. They don't care. You'll never get in trouble in the civil realm, I don't think, by doing that or by your neighbors unless they're believers But he says, the Lord our God, it says, will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. Taking God's name in vain is a sin. It is wickedness and heinous in God's sight. It's no small thing to show disrespect to the Lord of glory or to dishonor his name. In fact, another way of saying that is taking the Lord's name is a sin that's worthy of hell. I think I said this when we talked about the second commandment as well. And this is a hypothetical to be sure that I probably has never, not probably, it's never happened in the history of, the, of humanity. If you were to never sin in any other way, if you, could, if you could look at the Ten Commandments and say from the heart and without dishonesty or, or, or being untrue, I've never broken any of them except the Third Commandment, taking God's name in vain in some way. You would be just as worthy of hell as any other sinner that ever walked the earth. God will be just as righteous and just to send you to an eternity in hell for taking his name in vain as, as murder. We don't think that way, I don't think. I think commonly when you hear murder, whoa, no, dishonoring God's name. You could say it's worse in a lot of ways. You could even say murder is a breaking of the third commandment as well because men are made in the image of God. In some way, God has revealed himself in in mankind. And so an attack on that is an attack on God's name in some ways as well. It's a hell-worthy sin. Uh, why? Why? Why is that right? Why would someone who only broke the third commandment and dishonored God's name, why would it be right for them to spend an eternity in hell if God were to judge them for it? Because God's name is infinitely holy and majestic. We owe him all the glory that's rightly due his name. We have a very small view of God is the problem. 
We have a very, when you have a very small view of God, you have a very small view of your sin. That, that may be one of our biggest, even for believers, probably one of our biggest problems, one of my biggest problems, maybe one of your biggest problems. We have a small view of God, and so our sins don't seem as terrible as they really are. We take them lightly because we take God lightly at times. You know, when you think of uh, one of my favorite passages, maybe yours too, Isaiah chapter 6. I won't read the whole thing, and I'll just I'll paraphrase it for the sake of time. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6, he had a vision of the Lord. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And remember, the, the temple starts shaking. The seraphim are calling back and forth, these burning angelic beings, and they were yelling, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. The, 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 the doorposts of the temple were shaking, and so were, were Isaiah's knees. You know, he, and what did Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord, the Lord of hosts, right? In other words, he was a prophet. Like He knew who God was. He knew God was holy. But when he got just a little bitty glimpse of a vision, he didn't actually see God. He saw a vision of God. When he saw God's holiness, he saw his sin for what it was. And what's the first thing he thought of? His lips, his mouth, his, his speech. And for a prophet, that's a pretty bad thing. To have unclean speech. And he was like, I've got nowhere to go. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. There's nowhere I can hide. And when a prophet says, whoa, what's he saying? Judgment. The axe is about to fall and I'm, a, I'm doomed. He thought he was about to be judged for his sin. He thought that's what the vision was, was implying. And could it have been? Could God have said, you're right. Woe is you, all right. Could he have? Yes, he, he could have. But what happened? The angel took a, with a tongs, a, a live coal, a burning coal from the altar and touched his mouth, his lips, and said, see, your sin is atoned for. The, the, the burning coal was from the place of sacrifice. It's an allusion to the cross of Christ. It's a, it's a foreshadowing of that. And, and it cleansed all of his sin, but what sin was he conscious of? That. So where did it touch? That. And then God commissioned him as a prophet and sent him forth to speak his word. But when he got a vision of God's glory, then he had a real right view, a better view of his own sin and the heinousness of it. And for if Isaiah, whom we would have thought was a very godly man, if Isaiah could look at his sin of speech and say, woe is me, you know, I, basically I deserve hell. I deserve God's judgment. How much more is that true of any of us for taking God's name in vain? Romans 1.21 speaks of the depths of the depravity of the unbeliever. In fact, Romans 1 through 3, it demonstrates our need for, God, for Christ and the gospel. It shows the total depravity of all mankind outside of Christ. And look at the way Romans 1.21 speaks of sin and depravity. It says, although they knew God, no such thing as an atheist, really. Although they knew God, here it is, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Uh, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. More sins are listed beyond that. But the first one he mentions really is, is, is a lack of honoring God. When you think of depravity, what do you think of? Paul says they don't honor God. They act like they're godless. They don't honor God. They don't give thanks to God. Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So outside of Christ, we don't honor God as we should, and we fall far short of God's glory. Thankfully, uh, the Bible has a lot more to say about the name of the Lord than that. It says in, in the Bible in Acts 4.12, there is a name, notice the emphasis on the name, a name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins to atone for our sins of everyone who believes and was raised on the third day for our justification. Acts 10.43 also says, everyone who believes in him, that's re- believes in Christ, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his, what? Name. The name of Christ matters. It should be precious to each one of us who believes. Uh, the, the name of Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord, should be precious to everyone who's a believer in Christ. Uh, Philipp, there's so many passages that come to mind. Philippians uh, chapter 2 it says that God gave Jesus because of what he did on the cross and resurrection the name that's what? Above every name. And that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Proverbs 18.10 puts it this way. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. You know, we, we looked at a call to worship this morning from Psalm 5. And right towards the end it says in verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. It's a prayer for protection from God that those who love your name may exalt in you. You can you can define a Christian in a lot of ways, but I would say that's one of them. Do, Do you love the name of the Lord? Does it offend you at the thought of his name being in any way dishonored by you or by someone else? Do you love God's name? Have you, have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation from your sin, even the sin of taking his name in vain? Acts 2.21 says, Everyone who calls upon what? The name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen.